Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. And I'm Keith Silva. And we are discussing three movies to some extent or other. The Worst Person in the World, uh, Love Story from 1970, and from, uh, from 2022, we are discussing... Uh, loon, what's it called? Looney porn or other way around? Bad luck banging. Bad luck banging or loony porn. Yeah. Uh, what an interesting set of movies to watch together. Uh, I got to ask. So first of all, what inspired you to have? A, so first of all, I'll say there will be spoilers for these movies, um, especially relevant for um, worst person in the world, which is only available now on pay per view or in theaters. Um, we will talk about the movie, including probably a discussion of that really interesting ending. So if you haven't seen it, um, you've now been warned. So what made you decide to talk about these three together? Well, I think... Uh, Your voice is off again. We, we you go. and I have both been big fans of 70s cinema. And the more and more I think about it, Love Story is kind of the probably one of the most important movies as far as movie history wise, production wise, and just uh, artistic wise of seventies movies. So love story has always been one on my list to watch. Uh, Worst person in the world seemed like a, um, a romantic comedy of sorts that has a lot in common with love story. And then because I was having trouble getting love story uh being able to watch it i figured bad luck banging was you know at least somewhat close to romantic in some way um mm-hmm. and it turns out that as we were discussing <laughs> off mic um it's unlike anything you've ever seen so um i don't think it's not a love story it's not a drama it's not a comedy but it's all three of those things it is all it is kind of everything all in one and not not necessarily in a bad way. Right. And it's um, also a superhero movie in some ways with the ending. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm like, you, you caught me there for a second because I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Really? Uh, I don't know. Should we go? Should we start with? Uh, start where you want to start, Sex. Yeah. Let's go the most conventional. Love story. Uh, 1970, uh, famously um, the most popular movie of its time up to that time. Mm-hmm. The the biggest blockbuster ever. Yeah, um, movie of that. Time. Yeah, movie that's got some great hockey scenes. I will definitely yep. say that for it. Ali McGraw, Ali Ryan McGraw, O'Neal. Ryan Ryan O'Neill when he was kind of uh, incredibly dashing and handsome, handsome. Wore a lot of nice sport coats. He's the poor boy, and or he's the rich boy, and she's the poor rich girl. Yeah. They they get together, and um, he's the Harvard Harvard boy, and she's a Radcliffe girl, which I guess it went a little bit over my head. Is at that time was Harvard still an all male school? Uh, I don't think so. No, there are okay. there are women at, at. I think it's just they're you know the two are tied together, um, Harvard and Radcliffe, as maybe at one point all boys and all girls school. But I, I enjoyed the movie. It's mm-hmm. weird and dated and um, a little sexist and 
um, probably a little strange, but for a movie 50 years old, it's it's better than many movies um, that are newer than that. It doesn't feel like it's from the 70s in some ways, though. How so? Well, it doesn't, it's not part of that 70s new wave style. I, it's the beginning of the new wave, it right? A, it's, it's, the, it's the sort of the start of the new wave where it's things are less conventional. I mean, it's a downer ending, right? I mean, that's the first thing that uh, is 70s about it. Um, it's all, it's very gritty. I mean, it's sides of Boston and, and New York that aren't pretty at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also very, uh, apparently Nancy Reagan didn't like this movie because there's too much swearing. And she didn't think that Ally McGraw should as get as much credit as she was getting at the time for being a heartthrob and for everything else, just because she said the word shit so often. It's so funny. We were talking about this when we were discussing the Nicholson movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, all the swearing just goes past me. I don't even notice it. Right. And she says bullshit, which doesn't feel, you know, it's, there's no F-bombs or anything like that. It's yeah. just all. <laughs> uh, there is a lot. Yeah, I guess I felt like it was conventional in that um, the story kind of follows a more or less predictable approach. You know, this kind of slightly different couple meet in school. They connect. They have a kind of quick romance, fall in love. They have this kind of conflict with his parents, especially who, um, you know, which also felt kind of very common. And then, yeah, they have this happy romance and then she gets sick. Uh, I guess it's very straightforward though, too. Yeah, there's not a lot about it that um, you can really say is that odd. Um, It's not like an indie and it's not a romantic comedy. Um, there's no, there's some laughs in it, but not like jokes necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I had a lot more talking points to it than watching them look banging kind of threw me off my game a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, so um, no, I, there's a lot of elements to this movie that are completely charming though too. I did buy the relationship between them. Mm-hmm. And I'm yep. sure if you did too, but the way they banter and kind of play with each other and you get a sense of them growing together and changing together and they build a stronger and stronger relationship over time uh, is, is kind of charming. It's charming. It's also very, uh, you know, extremely conventional. Um, it's something you've seen before. It's, as you were saying, the rich boy, the poor girl, um, you know, I'm poor you don't understand I'm smart. You're smart and stupid. No, I'm smart and poor. Uh Um, And it's Romeo and Juliet. I mean, two, not two warring houses, but two, they're from opposite sides of the tracks. At least that's what you're supposed to get from, I think the, the conflict between the cultures. Yeah, they are because he's, you know, uh, Oliver comes from his rich father's house played by Ray Milland. Uh, Milan has this really nice performance, I thought, very kind of contained, very self-serious, very kind of super important. And his right. wife, played by Catherine Balfour, who I don't know her work, uh, also seems like, they seem very kind of cloistered. They seem very kind of uh, old, money. old money, exactly. Uh, I love Ali McGraw's dad, Phil, John Marley. John Marley's the best. That's one of the thing about wanting to see this movie is, you know, I'd never seen it before and if you're going to get a john marley performance i'm always on board um 
So yeah, John Marley's great. The baker. I'm trying to see what else so, I've seen him in. Oh, he's in The Godfather, Faces, Death Dream. Not that you've seen Death Dream. Faces is one of the most amazing movies I saw last year. He's in Faces. He's the husband. One of the mm-hmm. husbands. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, he's uh, Waltz in The Godfather. Okay. The owner of Khartoum, who unfortunately loses his head. Literally. Yeah. Or has it separated from the rest of his horse body. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the way he well, the way he deals with his daughter bringing home someone who he doesn't kind of relate to, that he just kind of rolls with it. He just accepts it. He just says, this is who she loves, and I'm going to take him as, in as part of the family. We don't get it. We don't understand him. We don't... We don't we don't have any concept of what this means in some ways, but at the same time, you know, he, it, I get, you know what, I, if the character feels very lived in, in that, like, it feels like he's a shopkeeper who's just dealing with all kinds of different people. And, you know, he's built his life by having these relationships with folks, right? He owns Phil's bakery or whatever it is. And um, there's this real sense of him actually relating to people that, you know, Oliver's dad doesn't have. Phil is, uh, you know, he's the not the great unwashed, but he's the, you know, he's blue collar. He's as blue collar as um, Oliver Barrett the third is white collar. You know, a banker, lawyer. You know, Harvard money. The the buildings are named after his family. Um, all that stuff. So, how does it feel walking past Barrett Hall every day? <laughs> <laughs> feels embarrassing to me he also bought that oliver would be embarrassed by his family he wants to move on he wants to have a place of his Build own, his own instead, life. He, yeah yep. instead he he uh he he sal- sort of embraces he drives that ridiculous car the mg yeah the mg that looks like it came from the 1940s or something roadster yeah it's great yeah definitely expensive at the time but okay it's a cool man's car i suppose <laughs> Super impractical in the snow. Drives in Boston like a maniac because everyone in Boston drives like a maniac. Yeah, which which I think is true, right? (laughs) Very true. Together, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I tried to fit in with the maniacs, give you a Um, sense of that you were there. Yeah, and then Oliver's career grows kind of very nicely as uh, his wife starts feeling the illness. Uh, The biggest thing that ran against against type to me and. I think everyone would call that out these days is them keeping a secret of Jenny's illness from her. What? The doc tells Oliver and doesn't tell Jenny. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you do. Like I can't. No, imagine no, I, can, I, I can't imagine it now, but I can see back then, you know, the man is responsible for, you know, whatever. And I didn't know if the doctor had some relationship with Oliver's family. Yeah, they kept that vague and that make, that allows it to make more sense. I was playing with that idea too. Maybe mm-hmm. they were more or less just chatting when he went into the office that day, just doing, you know, the old family check-in. Right. But it's because they're wanting to have children. And, you know, he says, well, there's nothing wrong with you, essentially. So I don't know, that could be a uh, client, a patient doctor confidentiality that got sort of run right over there. Oh, wouldn't, yeah, true. 
And yeah. wouldn't you then immediately tell your wife? I would think so, unless I was trying since, to since having a baby put on a together is the thing you do. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I think Oliver is definitely someone uh, who is trying to put on a good face because mm -hmm. he knows the sacrifices that she's made for him. But he's sort of done it to himself too. He wants nothing to do with his family and nothing to do with their money and their status. So he's trying to, he's slumming it in some ways, right? Yeah, he wants to make his own way and right. just fine. Yep. I suppose she had some sort of cervical cancer or something. Uh, they never say, I think it's just, they don't really say it's cancer either. They just say she's sick. Most of the writing that I found says cancer. And maybe in Oliver's story, the... Um, the sequel, which we don't have to watch, Jason. Thank you. Um, <laughs> maybe you find out it was cancer. Maybe he tells Candace Bergen. I mean, was, love story means you don't have to say it's sorry. Love, that's true. Love story that's means true. never saying it's sorry. You're sorry. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Yes, yeah. I'm doing a little riff on that, messing it I up gotcha. as I go. Oh, that's good. You know, my mind is still my mind is still Romania. I think. <laughs> well, it's, it doesn't matter what ahead. she gets sick of, though, either, because right. you know. The point is that she does, does get sick. Um, go ahead, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say is the only thing in Love Story, I think the one thing that Love Story does that, you know, not only does it inform how Hollywood works the next 20 years or so, but it informs um, sort of romance. You know, here's this, these two people from opposite sides of the track, so to speak, and in um, worst person in the world, they flip it, right? Because the, the man, not the husband, but the man is the one who gets sick and the woman has to, uh, you know, console him and go on without mm -hmm. him in the end. So that's sort of the one thing that I think, I wonder when I was watching um, worst person in the world, if that was sort of an idea that this is sort of, you know, love story being some sort of ur text of, you know, all romance movies that one of the partners gets sick and the other one has to, you know, deal with them because death is the ultimate, you know, that's the only thing that can sunder the bonds of, of love, right? In I'm sure you could go back and find some weepies from the 30s and 40s that are more <laughs> or less the same thing. Right, 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 right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this does feel like an urtext in some ways. Same way that, you know, Godfather and French Connection feel like they're urtexts, like stuff just kind of this whole, and, and, and you could say like the, the Wild Bunch also is an urtext where like there was before and then there were after. And this brought in the whole different element of the after. I mean, it's easy to forget that the production code essentially just lifted you know, five years before or some or something like that. And the ways of making movies were radically changing in, in the early 70s. And this does feel very, I don't know, it's not a Shakespearean story. I don't think, I don't think it really has a, Rome, a strong Romeo and Juliet element, but it has this kind of Shakespeare kind of template feel to it in some ways. It's drama more than it's a love story or a rom-com, right? It is a drama. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting point. Is it, is it, is this really a love story? It's a relationship story, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. It's a love story. I mean, it's their their story of their romance and courting and how they got together and the life they started to build together. 
So it's a love story. I guess it struck, I wonder why it was so popular at the time. I think it's just such an easy story for anyone to mm. appreciate. I have a quote here reading from uh, The Big Goodbye again, which I brought up in our discussion of Chinatown. For those I've of you that I've been reading that, are... by the way. It's oh, a good. Written book. It's a great book. Um, so Robert Town, who wrote Chinatown, and he's, he's out looking for money. And Robert Evans, the producer of... Uh, not the producer of Love Story, but the, he was the head of Paramount at the time, uh, meet for dinner. Love Stories, Evans announced, answering his own question. What I'm looking for, what I've been looking for since I took the job, is the ultimate man-woman story. Why? Women don't want to go see women. They want to see men and women. And when you get women in the theater, you get men. They bring them in. Love Stories. They're good for business, and they're good for people. Hollywood is America's single greatest export. It's gift to the world. I want them to be proud of us. That's what I want. I want to give them romance. Evans leaned forward. He had a secret. You know what I've gotten? You know I've gotten more women pregnant than anyone in history. You know how? <laughs> Town laughed in anticipation, much like Jason Sachs. Love story. And so, you know, Robert Evans goes on to talk about how great he is. And, you know, Robert Town goes on to tell me he's got this crazy idea for this detective movie called Chinatown. But anyhow, I think that this is what is the success of Love Story is it is a man-woman story and it's a, you know, it's a date movie and it must have been a hell of a date in the 70s. So, you know, go out, see Love Story. Very, very, lots of emotions, lots of feels, as the lots kids of say. Feels. There's lots of feels. Lots of feels in Love Story. I got to admit the part I like the best we were chatting about was ho the hockey scenes. Yeah, you get... Uh, get a little bit of uh uh a little bit of slap shot in there good good hockey scenes just enough um, fighting just enough yep. kind of conflict there maybe yep. feel much better seeing that on the screen yeah yep and you you know a little bit of you know some kind of weird uh tossing of the football which is all that was probably the strangest scene uh for me is when they're throwing the football at harvard in the field there at harvard stadium um, just out in the snow, <laughs> watching, watching uh, Ryan O'Neill try to throw a football and Allie McGrath try to catch a football. Uh huh. That was that was that was odd. It's not his forte. Um, no. no, it did not look like he did not have good form there. <laughs> even though even though the Seahawks need a quarterback, I would not. I would look elsewhere <laughs> than Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> He's a little past his prime now. <laughs> and you know he didn't have to work hard to impress the girl either. He did not. He did not. He has that MG after all. He, oh my God, if I had that MG, I would have been a rock star. <laughs> More so than you are already, huh? Well, I mean, back in the day, oh, when, back when the I day. certainly gotcha. wasn't a rock star. <laughs> Whether I am now is a whole different Your question. Pre-rock star days. <laughs> Pre-rock star days, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, anyway. so this was the conventional one. What about the middle of the road between convention and whatever the hell bad luck banging is what did I you say, make by the way i think love story is i think the the shallowness of the characters and the fact we don't know them extremely well makes the story work a little better these are not they're portrayed as specific people but they are more archetypes than specific people and usually i'll i think a better movie is a movie that moves past the archetype and it's about specific people 
don't know, point to Licorice Pizza among this year's Oscar nominees. Uh, but Love Story is kind of, these people feel like they are encompassing more than who they are. And because of that, I think it also makes the film feel more universal. Now, what I think is interesting is that we, when we watch The Worst Person in the World, this is very specifically about Julie, right? It's very specifically about Renati Rinsev, I'm butchering her name, um, and her attempt to navigate the world. And I think that also makes this a great film. And I'm kind of struggling with how that kind of interplay works as, as a film, film buff, I guess. Uh, she is very specific because I think she's also a terrible phrase, but a modern woman. She mm -hmm. does not have the same concerns that Ali McGraw does in Love Story. Ali McGraw is looking to settle down. She's looking to have a relationship, a marriage, um, a family. And I don't think uh, Julie wants any of those things. And certainly no. uh, she wants them on her terms. Ali McGraw is a partner. She's willing to work with you. Well, I don't Julie, think doesn't Julie... Even, Julie doesn't even know what she wants out of a relationship, right? I mean, Correct. the movie starts Or her, her own life. Yeah. Her own life, right. Yeah. Right. I mean, we can debate, and again, last chance for, for spoilers, we can debate whether the miscarriage at the end is something she would have wanted or not. Uh, uh, it's a really interesting kind of tangled question with her. But um, clearly she's not, she, she is a modern woman, yeah, who doesn't want to be uh, caught in, in any sort of role, gendered or not, really. Right. And to use one of your favorite words, agency, I wouldn't say that Ali McGraw doesn't have agency, but it's a different kind of agency, right, than Julie does. I don't know that they have a lot in common, but they have that sort of, they know what they want and they go after it sort of thing. Ali McGraw, you know, whether she likes Oliver for his body or his money or his mind or his status or whatever, she goes after him. She pursues him as much as he pursues her. She does. Uh, would you say, by the way, that the difference is a generational difference? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because they make a point, the dad makes a point in the movie actually of saying, um, you know, at least she's looking to marry this guy. At least she's not a hippie. Right. But I think that's also because of the times like hippie would be too far too far afield ally mcgraw can you know she wants to be a teacher she has very conventional goals you know mm -hmm. as much as she's an, a, a modern woman for the time she has very conventional goals motherhood you see her in the kitchen you see her making meals you see her waiting for him to get home all those things um julie does none of that julie is much she's also a single woman yes she's in a relationship but she's still a single woman with her own things that she wants to do but i think the bigger thing is that um who's uh jennifer jennifer is a much more goal-oriented person than necessarily julie is and worst person in the world it's interesting though because she is the wife who stays home too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though she doesn't have to i mean they don't need the money but um right. And she's supporting her partner too. Yeah, emotionally. And and I think financially too, at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Jenny does. And then uh, because Oliver makes a point when he's talking to his, I think one of his friends where he's like, now she won't have to work anymore right. because I'm working to make money for the family. 
also feels like a completely different world. <laughs> and it had high childcare costs back in uh, back in Cambridge in 1970. <laughs> um, yeah, Julie's just a really intriguing person. I said when you went and saw it that the one thing I had read about uh, worst person in the world was that it was an anti rom com, and I think it very much is you know there there's no real happy ending would you say worst person in the world has a happy ending conventional happy ending i'm not a conventional happy ending Agreed. have you been thinking about that ending since you saw it though the epilogue where she's um working at she's working as a photographer which she says at one point was her dream her, her third or fourth actual <laughs> career goal I haven't been thinking about that ending as much as other movies I've seen this year, but uh, certainly it's it's an ending that's sort of up in the air. She's settled, but she's not settled. And, you know, you do have to think of, I have to look up their names. Axel and Elvin? Axel, Axel. Axel and Elvin. Yep, excellent. And I wonder, you know, how much... I've, you know, what did you think? I, it's something I've been meaning to ask you is what did you think of Oxel's um, cartooning and his career? Did he look like he was a good uh, artist? <laughs> did his I comics it was interesting look? You picked a movie that has cartooning as a <laughs> as a piece of it. Um, yeah, he's the he's the classic underground cartoonist who ended up getting popular by. Right compromising his vision a little bit i love the angst he has at, at his character being turned into an ordinary kind of uh kids Family. cartoon kids cartoon yeah it's like you know fritz the cat turned into some sort of christmas boy uh, critter or something right right fritz the cat goes ruins christmas definitely he's his career actually seems pretty real to me mm. and the house he lives in felt real it felt very you know so you know how in, in Europe, you know, the cartoonists are, the cartoonist profession is a well-paid profession. It, it's treated like a film director is here, more or less. And he had a life and a lifestyle that you would expect from someone in that position. You know, he's producing, it's pretty clear, a couple albums per year. Yep. You know, being an album being 64 pages, so 128 pages plus or minus per year. It's clear he took a break from his character do that semi-autobiographical graphic novel that um, he was talking about. He's also covered in the local media, right? In that incredibly painful scene when he's on the radio and he's getting crucified for, um, it's crucified the word? I'll, I'll stay with crucified for the minute. Works. Um, for, for his past history of sexism, I think appropriately. And um, no, that I felt like- very modern. That feels very uh, of the time. Very of the time and very mm -hmm. much the sort of thing that I would want to interrogate younger me for, mm -hmm. for reading stuff like, you know, Crumb and mm -hmm. the other cartoonists of the times, uh, Spain Rodriguez and S. Clay Wilson. I mean, that's, that's a lot of what the, the reassessment felt very true. So yeah, I, I felt like Axel's life felt kind of very properly right. I felt, it felt like the details were right too. And the way he lives in that kind of quiet house everything very much in its place he seems to kind of be 
racist demonic about the way he does his work too. It's a character that seemed like he was more fooled by the world he lives in than by what he says. He says a lot. He does say a lot, right? He says a lot. <laughs> but he's Not also so more, he's, he's more the guy who lives in his head versus Elvin, who's more the, more the com- communicator, I would say. I think Elvin is a lot more, I think both the characters, both the male characters in Worst Person in the World are very of the time as much as Oliver and Jenny are of the time of 1970, sort of coming out of the 60s, moving into the 70s, I think all the characters in Worst Person in the World are all very much of this time. So if nobody knows where they wanna go, someone who's a little bit older now has to answer for their past, uh, what not transgressions, but certainly things that were okay, that weren't, the things that were okay, not okay, 10, 15 years ago, and that they now have to answer for in the sort of Me Too world. And uh, someone who is very much like Julie doesn't really have a plan. I think Elvin is um, educated, he's smart, but he's very happy with doing service work, doing having a service job and doing, you know, you know, being a barista is perfectly okay with him, just like her working in a bookstore is perfectly okay with her. Yeah, the hypocrisy of Julie kind of confronting him with that. Yeah. Um, so there's two key set pieces in this film. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we talk about those. Um, do you want to do you want to pick one that you want to explore first? Well, I want to know. I want to make sure we're thinking the same ones because there's two that I can think of, and I think they're the only two. But there's the, the love scene where that stops time. Right, and there's the uh, the drug trip scene. The drug trip scene. Okay, same. We're on the same page. Okay. So, so as far as the scene that stops time, this is one thing that you didn't see in '70s movies, where something is given. But the cool thing about that scene is that's a falling in love moment, right? Yeah. Where they're tr- the director is trying to give you a sense of what it is like to fall in love, a set piece. Um, you did not have those back in the 70s, necessarily. There are set pieces in that we would call set pieces today in Love Story, but I don't think it was, quote unquote, set up that way. No. It wasn't made that way. Um, the, the love scene in Worst Person in the World is one of those, here's what it's like to fall in love. It feels like everything stops and there's only you and that other person out with you. And it's lovely. It's an absolutely gorgeous scene and i love how even though julie is experiencing it she also realizes what's going on like narratively Mm -hmm. in the story so because she knows she has to get back to her apartment you know so that time will catch up and so that she can be back there when he's pouring his coffee or whatever the case may be it is a beautiful scene she turns on the light it's like everything freezes for the moment yeah and then we see her running through the town and the look of pure joy and ecstasy on her face and, and the whole she, time you don't know where she's going like you know but you don't know yeah i i was there i was literally thinking what is happening right now right until until the, the scene plays out yeah. um but yeah i was sitting there thinking where is she going what's happening what am i suddenly seeing what's what is actually happening now too mm-hmm. and then oh 
I get it. And then she sees him at the coffee, at the coffee shop and you see this connection, right? In this moment, you know, and you know, you know, as well as I do, film crit talks a lot about show me the moment when the couple actually fall in love. Mm -hmm. And there it was, it is like, you're saying like time stood still. Yep. Like they had that, they, they had this moment where this, this pure, perfect moment. Yep. And I, I thought it was just lovely. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's, it's the other, the reason I asked, I want to know what two scenes you were talking about. Cause the other scene, the seduction scene at the party mm -hmm. is equally in some ways it's even the, the, the love scene is cool because of the stopping time and everyone frozen in place, but their seduction scene, the, the scene that you see on all the, the clips of the smoking and all that, that's absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And it feels a little, I felt a little voyeuristic, like you were looking at something you weren't supposed to, which is sort of what's going on because they keep talking about cheating, but not cheating. And they're like, we're not cheating, right? And they're like, no. And then they go into the bathroom and they both use the bathroom at the same time. Yeah. Which is odd. Which but, is odd. Okay. So odd that, but yeah. If you want to show a couple learning to be intimate with each other, yeah. I yeah. buy that. Yeah. Um, and cheating. You bring up a good cheating. point. So Love Story is clearly just directed with us with third person omniscient narration, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This movie doesn't feel like it's it has a it has a different sort of intimacy to it mm -hmm. what do you think the camera view is where are we as viewers in relation to these characters in worst person in the world in worst person in the world i think a lot of time it's julie's pov but i think it's also what she's seeing happening mm -hmm. from a third person you know from the camera's point of view i think it's her you know seeing the romantic moments play out this is her in some the camera in some ways is her having an out-of-body experience watching all this happen right watching their their story their love story unfurl i think that's a really intriguing way of thinking on that mm. because i was struggling with that in some ways hmm. um, i think yakin von trier wants to put us in some way where we're we're in in the middle of this intimacy Mm -hmm. and um we were seeing stuff from inside their heads i mean the drug trip scene is a pretty clear indicator of that right. too right yeah you're definitely seeing it from inside her head that's a great way to put it and so therefore when we see time stand still this is like a reverie from her a memory from her mm -hmm. her conflating these different things together mm -hmm. there's an element of um of subjectivity of the unreliable narrator to it mm -hmm. that, it's the feels again too right yeah it's the feels again exactly this yep. is how she's feeling about everything that's happening right and so therefore it's semi-untrustworthy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. good point yeah which i guess is why i felt like julie was such a strong character and she's not it, it, the the title of the movie is kind of it's not a joke but i guess it's also that in a relationship it's the way you can feel sometimes right like you are even though you're in love with this person you're the worst person in the world because you're not uh, uh reciprocating how they're feeling perhaps or you're here you are at this vacation with your 
significant other's family and you're kind of, you feel left out, you know, you feel like you're not part of the group. And I think that's the other thing about Julie too, is she's like the ultimate outsider insider. And I think that's that same inside your head thing. Um, that whole sequence with her, with her, I guess it's, uh, it's Axel's family, right? Right. Brother-in-law. Yeah. Um, and they're off in that beautiful country house and she just can't stand those kids. With the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, to be fair, they are, well, actually that, that one of my complaints is that the kids felt a little, a little too much. There was a little too much intensity from those kids. But if you think of it from her kind of subjective viewpoint, yeah, it makes sense. Right. And this is kind of the kids kind of oppressing her in some way. Right. There's a difference between children and the children, the kids of your uh, relatives or whatever. They're not mm-hmm. like fun. They're like sort of standing in the way of, you know, having an adult moment where they, you know, you're a parent, you have responsibility for these children. And that's sort of where Julie finds herself. She's not in the, I mean, even if you go back to Ali McGraw at camp, I forget where, where they are, but they're oh, outside yeah. summer camp. You know, those are they're on the kids. Beach, yeah. yeah, they're on the beach. And they're the kids, kids come running over and clap for right. Oliver they're, for getting into the law journal. <laughs> yeah. They're camp counselors, you know, that those are kids. Those, those are kids that you can have fun with. You know, the children of your uh, brother-in-law or whatever are not the kids you can have fun with. They're like, you have to deal with them in the same space. When you're there single, not have, you don't have a family, you don't have those responsibilities, you know, much, much different situation than when you're, you know, out there to have fun. Mm -hmm. And then they're there and they start to let go at the party. She convinces... I guess his aunt mm. to or come someone yeah yeah to, to, dance. to dance and then she hurts herself on the hitting herself on the light fixture it's like oh yeah. wait now this is that turned out to be kind of a bummer of a time actually right. and like you know just that like the the difference between what you hope and what actually happens mm-hmm. is uh and, go ahead and also differences in they're not that far differences in age yeah. but there are different stages of their life you know married with kids married without kids you know they're probably all axel's family even though they make a big deal of axel being older than her you know it's that at that time in your life almost certainly not no longer at our times of the the life that we're in right now where five years doesn't really make a difference Mm -hmm. but 20 to 25 is a big difference because 15 to 20 is a big difference you know someone in high school dating someone in college that's a big difference but two people in the working world, not that big of a difference. Yeah, they're in their probably late 20s, early 30s, right? I'm not sure how old she actually is in this movie. I think he says he's he's eight years or 10 years older than her. Okay. I thought that's what he said. I mean, in real life, she's in her 30s. She's Mm -hmm. 34, Mm -hmm. which fits the character, I think. Yep. Because she's also had this kind of it's pretty clear she's been drifting through her life. Mm-hmm. I love the bit at the beginning where she goes from <laughs> no, now I'm going to be a I'm going to be a law student. Uh, I'm going to be a medical student. Now I'm going to be a vet. Now I'm going to be a photographer. Those poor parents must have been so exasperated. Oh, that's the other thing about these two movies is the parent. The I mean, if love story is the er text, right? You have to have the parents in there somewhere. 
And I think that's the other thing is as much as whether he's John Marley or um, Oliver's dad, you know, Oliver the third, Oliver three, uh-huh. um, the parents are much different. You, Julie's dad is clearly a absentee father type mm-hmm. who can't be bothered with his daughter and sort of how she flits around and who she's with or who she's not with, but her mother really loves her and cares about her. And she's much closer to her mother where, you know, uh, Jenny's mother in love story is dead, but she's still very close to her father. And they have this very unique relationship. And Julie cuts off her dad and the, as the movie goes on. Right. Right. Cause she just can't put up with his shit anymore. But in these movies, in these love stories, you've got to have, the parents get involved some way. You have yeah. to meet the parents. There is a meet the parents moment if we're, if we're, you know, breaking these things down into their parts. Mm-hmm. So you were saying earlier, you connected these two movies in part because both end with a uh, beloved character dying. Yeah. And just that sense that they're not, that I think of love story, at least thought of love story as the ultimate, you know, romance movie romance. Certainly that's its reputation. And worst person in the world is the anti-romance romance movie. One thing I was wrestling with is Julian and um, Oven get tied at the end. Mm-hmm. And there's so many sweet scenes of them together. They have that long philosophical conversation um, outside at the, at the, at the uh, picnic table. At the park, yep. And then again, they have a really intimate scene together in his hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And you get a sense Oxo. of- yeah excuse me yes Um, and you get a sense she's actually connecting to people by connecting at a time that she's safely able to connect without having to kind of have any consequence of it Mm. Uh, I do wonder if she in some ways is happier just being by herself she's the worst person in the world I don't know if she's ever in her maybe in her head in her head yeah yeah, but here she is, you know, her former lover is dying of inoperable cancer. And she can't really, she can comfort him, but she can't give him what he really deserves and what she really wants to give him, which is this undying love, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and Elvin, you know, even though she probably loves him more, or, or has a different relationship with him, she can't give him what he wants either. No. Which is sort of, what, what does he want? He sort of wants her, but he also wants her on his terms, sort of be left alone. Like, don't ask me about a career. Don't ask me to be more than a barista. Don't ask me to, you know, do whatever. Let's just, just keep playing it out as it is. Well, that's the contrast between the two movies and it goes back to the point about, um, the archetypical characters versus the real mm. characters. Mm. I think she just wasn't a good, uh, Julie was just not a good match for either of them. Mm-hmm. It's not a good match in that they could never find happiness that's going to last 25 years. Right. And she knows that. She knows that. And but, it shows some wisdom on her part. It just, mm-hmm. it, it, we read it as aimlessness because it takes her some time to realize that she's also kind of, and we've all had friends like this. You and I have been married a long time not to each other. Uh, <laughs> I wish. Uh, 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 yeah, you don't believe me. Uh, but, you know, it, it does take a certain amount of 
wisdom to, to know you're not going to be happy with this person for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jenny and Oliver uh, kind of just jump in without really seeming to consider that much. You know, they just kind of follow this much more conventional, a little more old fashioned way of approaching things. And that's, that's another element of, that's different kind of in a generational aspect to these movies, right? This is the boomer generation getting married straight out of college and then starting their lives together as opposed to, you know, the, the, the Z, I guess, these folks would be or, or millennials. Um, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to wait and make sure this is the right thing. And I'm not even sure that marriage is something that I care that much about. And if I get pregnant, then I'll deal with the consequences of it. Um, so the other thing you mentioned was the drug trip scene. So I would put um, the drug trip scene in Worst Person in the World on par with the other two great drug trip scenes in cinematic history. One being uh, in Mandy and the other one being in Judge Dredd. The, the Carl Urban one, not in not oh. the uh, Sylvester Stallone one. I those seen, are, I think, the two best. I haven't seen either of those, actually. Oh, okay. Okay. Mandy, Mandy has the best, like, psychedelic drug trip scene as far as making you feel, having the same sort of time slowing down feeling. Um, and Judge Dredd does the same thing with uh, slow motion. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Really, Both really of- good stuff. Dread has been on my list for a long time. I didn't even think of Mandy. Yeah. Man- Mandy. Have you seen Mandy? No. Okay. Yep. Mandy's got the Mandy's that's they do that. Uh, Mandy was the drug trip scene in Mandy was inspired by the one in Judge Dread. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, because of the way they play with time. It's like super, super, super slow motion. It's really, but it's not ridiculous you know it, it is super ridiculous but it's not you know slow it's it's a different kind of slow motion <laughs> i don't know okay. how better to describe you, it yeah you got me intrigued it's good it's good it's good i really so, believe uh renati Rensiv would have should have been nominated for best actress i would have definitely put her in there instead of nicole kidman it's a powerful performance yeah she's on time no she's she's always there and we see her go through so much and she portrays her ambiguity in such an intriguing way um yeah i'm not sure if you saw the lost daughter with um olivia coleman i I think those two performances are kind of at a on a par with each other the thing about lost daughter is olivia coleman is acting something that is there's a lot of emotions, a lot of different feelings in there that she's getting out and none of them are very conventional. Mm-hmm. Like she's supposed to be a loving mother who doesn't want to spend time with her kids and is sort of, you know, career obsessed and that feeling of almost selfishness, that sort of unmother kind of feeling. And Julie in Worst Person in the World kind of has that same, she has to play some very complex emotions that are, aren't just one beat or the other in love, not in love. It's not a one or a zero it's combined. Yeah. Um, and she has to do a lot of those. She has to do a lot of those same things. I think Olivia Coleman's performance is probably the best of the year, but um, from my money. Yeah. She's my selection. I haven't seen 
um, either Spencer or Parallel Mothers yet, so. Spencer is, I haven't seen Parallel Mothers. Spencer is another movie that is six movies in one. And as far as actresses portraying famous people, um, Spencer's the, the best, is it, Spencer feels the most uh, unique and the least one that feels like eight, you're aping something. Okay, yeah, they're on my list. Um, Spencer's good. It's not, a, it's not a great movie, but the per performance is really good okay. as, as uh, Diana. Okay. She embodies Diana rather than, you know, plays an actress playing a famous person, if that makes any sense. And that's very intriguing. Yeah. IMDb says, Joaquin Trier says, worst person in the world is the rom-com for people who hate rom-coms. Yeah, makes sense. Do you want to talk about bad luck banging? Sure. Sure. What made you kind of connect this to the other two? common with the worst person in the world simply because it's very modern and it's a modern story um and the other thing about bad luck banging is like the premise is just too good to pass up like when you hear the premise you're like yeah i want to see that so essentially a husband and wife make a sex tape and it goes up uh to like a porn hub type place and it goes all over the internet and she's a teacher at a school and the, she has to you know, deal with the consequences. But uh, like Worst Person in the World, it's broken into chapters. Those are things that it has in common if this movie has a, in common with anything. Um, and it's just sort of very contemporary. Uh, I think that's the one thing about um, Bad Luck Banging, which I would have never ever guessed it's a very of the moment movie. It's a pandemic movie almost. So oh, it it's is a pandemic movie, yeah. Most reflective of, you know, the last couple of years, what it was like to live polit in those political times and everything else. Uh, because it's, it's very much, you know, the pandemic is front and center. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, this feels like it could take place in Florida right now. Washington or Washington or anywhere aside from yep. the language. Right. Um, wow, there's just so much happening. So I, I, let, let's, all right, I want to break this down in, in this way. It's really like three different sections to this film. The first one is this um, basically just a story of Emmy going around in her daily life. We just see her hanging over her. Yeah, we see her going from store to store, has these kind of odd little surreal moments. We walk, watch her through, walking through uh, Bucharest, Romania, and um, there's car accidents all around her, and uh, people yelling and getting in fights, and she sees people in costumes everywhere she goes. It's just it's got these kind of surreal elements, but it's almost like a documentarian about this woman's daily life. This woman around walking across Bucharest, Romania, and then the second segment is a series of short. 10, 15 second pieces that are like discursive about life in Romania. And then we see this confrontation at her school because of the sex video coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much like a, a uh, 
something you'd see on the evening news at a school board and all the parents are there and they're calling her out for, you know, having been in the sex tape. But the other thing about the first part that's interesting is the way the camera moves is the camera will be on her crossing the street or whatever, and then it'll pan up to either a sign or a billboard or something that informs what's going on. And the whole time she's walking across the city is she's trying to, she's trying to get to this meeting about the school board meeting. And she's also trying to deal with getting the sex tape off the internet, taken down or dealt with. She's talking to her partner, uh, Eugene, uh, the whole time about trying to get, you know, what are we doing with this thing? Did, did it get taken down? It's still up. Um, oh, some bloggers got it, you know, and you're hearing mm-hmm. about how kind of digital information travels something that uh, Oliver and Jenny never had to deal with. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Tommy Lee Jones and his buddies are all talking about, you know, the, the latest conquest of their fellow, uh, the fellow roommate. (laughs) That's They didn't, no one was going to, Jenny didn't have to worry about, you know, something on the internet going up about her. They'd have to get out the giant video camera. (laughs) Right, the old right. industrial cassettes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you could say what they wanted to about her. No one was ever going to, wasn't going to go any farther than their Harvard dorm room. I suppose they could take Polaroids and pass them around to their friends. <laughs> Probably yeah. black and white Polaroids too. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. Poor Emmy. Yeah. Tough break. And the yeah. whole time you, when you get to see the sex tape, it's always censored. So that's that the other part of it that's yeah. just, you know, you don't get to enjoy the sex tape. You... <laughs> yeah, it made it almost more cringy, didn't it? Because you can't enjoy it in any way. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, you're you just like behind this wall and it's, they're making kind of stupid jokes over it and stuff. What is it? Uh, something equals money. Yeah. Censorship equals Censorship. money. Yeah, yeah, which I guess is true. Probably wouldn't have ended up on Hulu otherwise. Right, right. Censorship equals money. Censorship equals money. Um, Yeah, yeah. And and she's just as having sex with her husband, just records it because it's what they like to do. It's not anything that anyone should be, you feel it's controversial, but on the other hand, someone somehow got it on the internet and her school kids can discover it. Who knows how they discovered it? Someone had to find it for them or someone had to be precociously active because these are 10, 11, 12-year-old kids. With iPhones. Yep, with iPhones, okay. That's, that's what they say in the movie. And the secret comes out. And then This is an interesting moral dilemma. Right. It, I, you can imagine this coming up to a school board anywhere and it's a, it's a tough decision to make in some ways. But I think it's all those moral dilemmas that we're dealing with writ large. It's mm-hmm. all those things, history, all the things that they talk about, sort of, you know, okay, here's all the things that have happened historically, wars, um, advertising, all the stuff that you have to deal with in your daily life as you walk from point A to point B, or you move through the world, point A to point B, all the stuff that you have to deal with. And then what if you ha- were held responsible for all that stuff in your job? 
Um, that is the that's the other thing that is interesting about this is you know these people come to her to her job and say, you know, you made this tape. This is un this is a problem. You're ruining our kids' lives, and she's like, I'm not going to apologize for, uh, you know, a, two consenting adults. I agree, it's not the best result in the world, but you know, there's nothing immoral or wrong about what they're doing, regardless of what these people want to say. Um, and it's no more immoral or wrong than, you know. Uh, these other horrible historical events, which we are all held responsible for in some way or another, either by uh, adjacency or our own dealings with it, you know. Well, they make a point of like, no one else in that space is innocent in any way, right? They're, they're racists, they're misogynistic in some ways, they treat their children badly. They make such a point um, in the middle section about, um, 60% of or 40% of children in Romania are beaten by their parents. And they show that horrible image of the child with the beating it with the uh, injuries on their back. And um, yeah, you can't help but feel like, you know, she just happens to be single out because for whatever reason, um, sex is just seen differently. Her private life has been made public. Yeah. Now she's in a position of influence to children. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the key differentiator, I suppose. But um, no, I feel so bad for Emmy because she'll, she'll always carry this scarlet letter. For doing something that, you know, in principle, there's nothing wrong with, right? It's just the way, it's when your private life is made public. That's, that's where, you know, Emmy wishes that sex tape didn't get out. Yeah, and... and... It's her, I come back to agency, it's her lack of agency in there that forces her to have to be put in this impossible moral position. This, this is something that's done to her. Uh, I don't know if it's the husband update uploaded it or as she says, it was uploaded from someone at a, at a computer repair shop. Um, she's kind of trapped in this, now the fate that she had no idea was going to happen to her. Uh, of Jason yeah is the sex tape her Barrett Hall is that the thing she always has to you know so Oliver is embarrassed by his family history and the fact that he has to walk by this building that's on his college campus that's named for his family and he says I've never been in there it's embarrassing to me I don't want to be associated with it and he wants nothing to do with his family is the sex tape her Barrett Hall something that she's associated with that she, okay, maybe she had less, she had nothing to do with it being uploaded, but she still has to answer for it. He has to answer for the sins of the past and she has to answer for her sins as well in the public space. Yeah, I think there's a real connection you could make there. Mm. Yeah, I, I like where you're going with that. I'm not sure it's a, they're completely it's parallel. Not, it's because not one, one, yeah. One is visited, you know, Oliver didn't have any choice that was done by his dad or his grandfather. And you know he it was something that was completely outside of his control. She could have chosen not to record the themselves, I suppose. You don't know what their life is like outside of this. You right. know, you never see the husband. Well, actually, the husband makes a point like, "Yeah, I just I something like this is better when we can record it." 
Yeah, I get more excited when we record it. Right. Okay, so they're just doing it because it's what they decided to do as a couple. Right. Um, and you know, she's couples in love sometimes make bad choices. Well, the church's a bad choice, it's their choice. Big deal. Right. Big deal. I mean, yeah, I mean, how many couples upload their videos? Uh, lots. Probably. Right. Uh, um, yes, but I, I, so I think there's there's some element of her choice in it too, I guess. But no, I mean, why should uh so you have you have teenage daughters. If it came out that one of their teachers had a video that was floating out there and the news was out that the everyone was kind of snickering around about her behind her back saying, look, look, look at this. Look what Mrs. Smith did. Um, what would the school's react? What would the parents' reaction be to that? I think that's the other thing about this movie is that you see all sorts of different reactions. And as much as we want to think that someone would react one way, the parents in that school all react in different ways. Yeah. And some people are, you know, dis- not dismissive of it, but they're like, hey, you know, you know, two consenting adults, what's wrong with this? It would be a very difficult situation, I think, to know that such a thing was out there. I think the other thing that's not dealt with in the movie is, you know, they talk about, you never see it, but, you know, people, the temptation to, I think that would be the biggest thing, right? Would be the temptation to watch it. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, I don't do, want to. They do watch it at, watch. The, at the meeting. That woman plays it for them. She sort of forces them to see it. But, you know, I think if I'm saying. And even when they're watching it, they're misinterpreting it. <laughs> right, right, right. And they're there. But it's just that same idea of, you know, there's a reason why Pornhub is successful. Um, plenty of people want to watch other people having sex. I don't know why you want to watch your kids teacher but anyway um that's that's up to the movie to decide um but i mean would there be a controversy if the one of the high school teachers i think so was found i think so because it's again how we think about teachers nowadays i think that's the other thing you know that lockdown and the pandemic sort of started to say is you know people started to think of wait a second i'm actually seeing in my own house what my kid is learning and I don't like what they're learning they're Mm -hmm. learning they're they're you know I think that was one thing that got brought home to a lot of parents who you know we don't see what goes on in schools you don't necessarily you're not in the classroom with the kid but in the during the lockdown you were in some cases for some parents they were learning along with the child Um, so if you did find out that you know and I think teachers are held to a higher standard because they are, you know, teaching children. And she, even she says in the story, you know, what her response, excuse me, what her responsibilities are as a teacher, you know, what the the kids don't have to, I forget what she says. She says something about, they don't have to respect her, but they do have to listen to her or something. She makes a real, it's a subtle difference. Yeah. And she says she's built a rapport with them. Rapport. Yeah. They quiz her about her teaching the the famous Romanian poet. And she says, you know, even he wrote some pornography and they don't believe her about that too. One of them dismissively says, Oh, check out the scholar here. Right. It's a you know, it feels so modern in that like, yeah, facts don't necessarily matter. And that people have their own 
set of facts that they bring to every situation. Yeah, In- including uh, <laughs> including Nazi beliefs. My yeah, God. Was, oh. Yeah. story to almost anyone i think it's pretty safe mm-hmm. i don't know that i would recommend worst person in the world to just anyone and i sure as hell wouldn't recommend bad luck banging to just about anyone well i don't think a lot of people would get through i, I think the the format of bad luck banging kind of narrows the audience who's going to watch it because yep, the first third of the movie i was kind of sitting there thinking is this going to lead to something i'm a patient man but act one is a little slow, yep. shall we say. And even the scenes that are kind of action, not action, but where there's something happening, like when she goes to the school administrator's house and they're dealing with some family crisis in the middle of that house and yep. there's all the people running around and it's like, it felt chaotic and dark and strange. Um, so yeah, I, I don't necessarily recommend Bad Luck Bang to someone who's not ready for something more adventurous, I guess. But thematically, I think it is a really kind of powerful film. Yeah, it's very much like I said, of the moment, of the time. Everyone's wearing masks. I'm Um, curious if it'll if it would feel the same five years from now. Uh, Worst person in the world, I'd say, feels more timeless. Yes, still modern. Um, Couldn't happen at any other any any point up uh, up to relatively recently. But I think the main character, Julie, feel, feels very contemporary and real to me. And she's certainly more, more multifaceted than Emmy, too. Although, you know, Emmy is just kind of forced to be single-minded because of where she is in terms right. of this uh, sex taste. Yeah. Um, yeah, Love Story. I, I, anyone could watch Love Story. I mean, it's, I don't even think there's any nudity in it. It's probably a G-rated film, honestly. Uh, but, has a shirt off a lot. You get yeah, to see Ryan. Mc, I guess uh, there's Ryan blood on his shirt when they're playing hockey. Yeah, yeah. I really did like the hockey scenes, by the way. I keep going back to that. I like the hockey scenes a lot. And when she goes and bugs him when he's in the penalty box, he's like, "Go away, get out of here! Stop bugging me when I'm in the penalty box." He just doesn't get it. Right. Oh my god, I could see like going to youth hockey game and one of the parents comes over and does the same thing and the but that's, but love it's timeless too love story feels timeless yeah 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 because of the themes and everything else even though like you said mo- our modern sensibilities sort of look askance at certain things um i think in actually love story knowing some of the backstory of with the two leads too makes it a little more interesting you know ryan o'neill and his and his uh you know, long relationship with Farrah Fawcett and then she died of cancer and it kind of gives us, gives the story another level of poignance. Poignance? Yeah. Poignancy? Poignancy. I'm not sure which the word is, but anyway. It works. I got it. I follow. Um, I'm not sure it's even in my top 30 classic 70s movies, but it's a good movie. Yeah, it's fine for what it is. Yeah. It's no, um, I don't know, what is another... Well, there's another good romance from the 70s. It's it's no, Alice good. doesn't live here anymore. Sure. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Or Clue. <laughs> um, Nothing's another Clue. 
but it's still another another classic 70s you know face ally mcgraw is probably you know an it girl certainly for the early 70s there's a lot of talk about how she's not conventionally beautiful in the way that you know sybil shepherd or someone was at the time and i see that but she's got this kind of class and emotional heart to her that i think is really powerful they called her bucky beaver on set because her teeth aren't straight <laughs> i didn't realize that <laughs> oh wow i had a, i looked that up i didn't know that either <laughs> uh do you agree with me what which ones you would recommend in terms of yeah i think it's just like anything else that you know you have to have a certain sensibility to be okay with bad luck banging because it is so it is so foreign and it's odd um, it's not, you know, it's not a movie that I think most people are going to connect with, but it is very much a time capsule of the last two years, 19 through 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of very contemporary in that it shows this sort of sense, like you say, you bring your own facts to every situation, nothing's agreed upon, and that we hold teachers to a much higher standard than I think we ever did before. Um or I, I don't think you hold them to that standard. I think your eyes are more wide open about what happens in schools and what teachers and people thinking teachers are, you know, forget that they're human beings who make mistakes and who are flawed and who, you know, make bad decisions. I got to say, I want to watch more of Radu Jad's films. It's, it's an intriguing movie. It's, it's an oddball. It's a total oddball movie. Mm-hmm. As someone who watches a lot of odd movies, that is certainly one of the oddest that I've seen. Okay. Good to know I'm not the only one who feels that way. No, I don't think anyone's going to watch Bad Luck Banging and be like, yeah, this is a feel-good movie of 2022. It's well, I, I was I tuned it in. You know, I've been watching all the Oscar nominees. And I tuned in like, should this have been nominated for Best Foreign Feature? And uh, no, I see why it wasn't. I definitely see why it wasn't. Because this is a, a kind of confrontational film. Uh, worst person in the world, on the other hand, you know, I think legitimately can go down. I could see it becoming a true classic. Absolutely. Yep. There's so much in there that just feels real in that character. And I think she's someone who I'm going to want to come back to just to spend more time and kind of figure out where her brain space is. Yeah, she's a great character. Julie's mm-hmm. a great character. I thought when I watched Lost, Lost, Worst Person in the World, I thought of another movie. I don't, I think it was Dutch. Uh, was, um, it was another round, another Dutch film. Oh, I think so. I think so too. Let me look it up real quick. Twenty, Thomas Vinterberg. I think it is Dutch. Denmark, yes. Yeah. Which is another movie that I felt, oh, you know, very contemporary, very of its time, still, and another movie about teachers and sort of the standards that teachers are held to because. You know, those guys all, a couple of, one of them loses his job for being drunk at work. You know, can't be drunk around kids. You can't be. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, know, you can't be drunk around kids, but that's probably a good good thing. And you yeah. can't upload your sex tape if you're a mm-hmm. teacher. Things yeah. you can't do if you're a teacher. A little more complicated. <laughs> a little more complicated. A little more complicated. Yeah. Uh, two complicated movies and one much simpler movie. Two modern movies that don't give us easy answers. One older movie that is straightforward. I don't think it gives easy answers either. Well, no, love means never having to say you're sorry. Right, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Mm. I've never believed that either. Actually, love should mean you do say sorry when you're oh, wrong. God damn it. <laughs> Isn't that, that the key be, to staying married? It's, I mean, yes. Making mistakes is the key to the, the key I'm to sorry, life. Dear. Right. I didn't right. mean to do that. I I I, I added a tablespoon of salt when it should have been a teaspoon. Sorry about I, ruining that. I'm sorry I forgot our anniversary for the third year in a row. Okay. So that was too messed up, mixed up. My own stuff. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. We're talking about these. Well, yeah, thank you. Always fun to talk. And three, three movies that were, you got to talk about. I, even Love Story. I'm glad we did. Yes, always, always, Jason. Thank you. Oh, thank you.